Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are dedicated to helping you live your best life. And it's a journey that we call pursuing limitless life in Jesus. And we're doing it all for one reason, so that our lives can impact the world. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. So we're starting a new series today called Truth or Dare. Does anyone want to admit to playing that game when you were a kid? You see, as a, as a kid, the game is usually harmless, but you add in hormones and impaired decision-making as a teenager, and things probably started to get a little bit wild. But hey, don't worry. I'm not going to make you confess what you did as a teenager. But as adults, we're still faced with this dilemma called truth or dare. We live in a culture that's falling further and further away from God, and we're faced with the tension of deciding which way we're going to go. Are we going to dare to live our lives like the world, or are we going to face the truth of God's Word? In the game, there's usually negative consequences regardless of what you choose, truth or dare. You either had to reveal something you didn't want people to know, or you had to do something that had a negative consequence. But in the context of your spiritual journey, there's an obvious best choice. Come clean about your secrets with God, and you're going to find freedom, or dare to live your life like the world, and you'll find yourself drifting further and further away from God. And this entire series is based on the book of Daniel because Daniel lived in a time where the nation of Israel, the people who were known as God's people, rejected God and they were paying the price for it. But Daniel took a stand for the truth in the midst of all the compromise. And as you probably know, history tends to repeat itself. So what we see in Daniel, even though it happened years ago, can be paralleled to what we're seeing today. And we all need to find out how to live like Daniel. How do we stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise? How do, we remain, how do we remain close to God in a culture that's drifting further and further away from Him? Well, that's what this series is all about. It's actually really interesting. The world's trying to get us to believe that when we live according to the Bible, we're giving up our freedom, but it's actually the opposite. When we live according to the Bible, we step into freedom. We get free from guilt, shame, and regret. We find freedom from all those addictions and bad choices that have been holding us back. And then we get to step into our purpose. You see, when we live according to the Bible, we discover what God put us on this planet to do, and we begin to live the most fulfilling life anyone has ever known. Take a look at what happened to the nation of Israel when they got tricked into thinking that living like the world would bring them freedom. It's found in Daniel 1 verse 1. It says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So Judah was one of the tribes of Israel. They decided it would be better to live like the world instead of living according to the Bible, and as a result, they became slaves of Babylon. So let's keep reading. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. So the Babylonian king didn't just enslave the people of God, but he also took all the stuff that the people of God considered sacred and holy and then defiled it by placing it before his own false god. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, which was his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. So everyone in the tribe of Judah became slaves to Babylon, but the smart people the ones who had been well-trained and had more to offer, instead of having them do common work, they wanted to use them for their knowledge. He said, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. So, of course, uh, this, this would have included me. <laughs> but seriously, it goes on to say, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. So they wanted Israel's elite to serve in the royal palace, all the smart, all the healthy, all the good-looking men. But notice they didn't want Israel's culture in the palace. No, 
They wanted to put the culture of Babylon into Israel. So the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. So Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were the four young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. So what I really want you to grab a hold of is is what's happening here. These men have been taken captive, but now it looks like they're going to get a really good life because they get to be in the palace. But you can probably see that the Babylonians are just using these men for their own benefit. They want to pull these men away from God and train them in their own culture so that the rest of the Israelites will follow. And if we're not careful, our culture will do the same thing to us. They'll lure us in with all these pretty things, more money, nicer car, nicer house, and they'll use all of this to train us in their ungodly ways. Now, before you start blaming our culture, I want you to realize that this is just the devil using culture. You see, the devil has had the same bag of tricks in Daniel's day, and he's still using it today. The problem is we're still falling for it. Well, here's what happened next in Daniel. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. So name's how you identify yourself. So when you go up to somebody and say, hey, my name's Cade. So of course, the first thing they had to do was change the names of these guys so they would no longer identify with who God created them to be. So my question to you is this, who do you identify with? Do you identify with what culture created you to be? or who God created you to be. You see, culture has an agenda. In its first order of business, culture wants to change our identity. See, I grew up in a wonderful home. I have wonderful parents. I lived in a great house and had a home-cooked meal every night. But when I got to middle school, things started to head in a different direction. You see, my parents were still the same. My home life was still peaceful, but culture was setting in and trying to redefine my life. And I found myself in eighth grade sinking further and further into an identity crisis, It's the same one that many people are struggling with today. I was drifting into a lifestyle of homosexuality. The whole time, I knew it wasn't who I really was, but the culture around me was pulling and tugging and telling me, this is who you are. You were born this way. Just accept it. It's okay. God still loves you. Only one part of that was true. God did still love me, and actually he loved me so much he wasn't willing to leave me in that mess. So after several years of struggling with this identity crisis, I found freedom But man, was it a process to redeem who I really was, who God created me to be. And this is the main reason I'm so passionate about letting you guys know that God created sex to be between one man and one woman who have committed themselves to each other in marriage. Because I don't want you to go through what I went through. Culture tried to tell me it would be fun and it was who I was supposed to be and all kinds of other stuff that sounded good. It just wasn't the truth. It led me into captivity. I was disgusted with myself. I was buried under regret and shame. And the only solution the world had was to keep digging. You're like, maybe if I keep doing it, it's going to get better. And that's why I'm not afraid to stand up here and encourage you guys to take God's word seriously. The instructions you find in his word aren't to take away your freedom. They're to set you free. You may not have the same story as me, but I imagine that culture has tried to put a different identity on you too. Maybe it's an alcoholic or drug addict or a life of poverty. Whatever label culture has put on you, it's a lie. And it's time to step into your true identity. You can just tell the world you don't accept the name change and you're taking your original name back. I am a child of God. So now let's take a look at these four different names that we just read in the book of Daniel to see what culture tried to put on them. You see, the name Daniel means God is my judge. In other words, you can't tell me who I am. Only God can tell me who I am. But the, word, the name they gave him, Belshazzar, it means lady, protect the king. So they gave Daniel a girl's name. And you know what? 
In every worldly culture, there has been gender confusion. The devil wants people confused about simple matters like gender because if he can get you confused about who you are on a physical level, you'll also be confused about who you are to God. And then Hananiah, that word means Yahweh has been gracious. God, you're so good. The name they gave him, Shadrach, means I'm fearful of God. And this still goes on today. There's lots of people out there who are afraid of God. They're afraid if they mess up, God will make their life miserable. They think God is the one who causes all the natural disasters in our world. And then there's Mishael, whose name means, who is what God is? There is no one like my God. The name they gave him was Meshach, which means I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. So his original name was all about confidence and who God is and what he does. And his new name was all about cowering down and believing that you have nothing to offer. Have you taken on this identity? And then there's Azariah, whose name means Yahweh has helped. He's always there for me. The name they gave him, Abednego, means servant of Nebo. So in other words, he went from living free with God helping him along the way to a slave of man, handing his life over to somebody else. Culture's been trying to force these name changes forever. But are you going to accept it? Are you going to accept a fake name from culture? Are you going to accept the name that God gave you? Let's keep reading to see what happens with Daniel. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king, so he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. So in his mind and heart, Daniel did not accept what the Babylonians tried to put on him. He wasn't about to take on the new name, and he didn't want to eat their food either, because it was food that had been offered to false gods. But I want you to notice that Daniel didn't get all upset and like throw the plate across the room and tell them they're all going to hell. No, he simply asked, hey, is it, is it okay if I don't eat this food? Wow. I think Daniel knows God, and he doesn't just know about God. He must really know God relationally to be able to respond to such a situation with peace, calm, and respect for the other person. So saying no to culture, it doesn't have to be ugly. But culture does have an agenda for you. It wants to change your identity. And here's the second thing it wants to do. Culture wants to compromise our standards. It's been on my heart to do this series for more than six months now. And you know why? It's not because you're a bad person. It's not because I want to tell you all the things that are wrong in your life. It's because I recognize the pressure that culture puts on us to compromise God's word. And if we don't talk about it here at church, we begin to lose sight of what the truth really is. We start to believe that it's not a big deal to deviate from God's plan for sex. We start to think that going to church regularly is not important. And eventually, all of our attention goes inward, and we become selfish, just like the world wants us to. As a pastor, it'd be a lot easier for me to not even talk about these things. I could just show up every Sunday with a surface-level message and, and never get into the nitty-gritty of reality. But I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to watch you take steps away from your best life. I'm here to keep you making steps towards your best life. And your best life is the one that God created you to live. The world can't give it to you. Our culture is going to try to get you to compromise what you believe. But you're going to have to make a decision to stand firm in God's Word. No matter how clever their argument is, you choose to believe the Word of God. So we just read where Daniel was taking a stand for what he believed in. Now let's see how the Babylonians responded to Daniel's request. Now God had given the chief of staff both, both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. So the chief of staff wanted to honor Daniel's beliefs, but culture was threatening him, and he was afraid of what would happen. I bet some of you have felt this way before. You knew what was right, and you wanted to do what was right, but you were afraid of what your friends or coworkers would do or what they would say about you. 
Well, here's how Daniel responded. Hey, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. And I love this. Daniel was so confident in his beliefs that he was willing to put them to the test. It's kind of like when someone tells you, you can't do that. And you respond, oh yeah? Well, watch me. That's the confidence we need to have in God's word. When your faith is tested, when, when what we believe is made fun of, we stand firm in our beliefs knowing that in time, people will see the results of it and they're going to wish that they were with us. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food and then make your decision in light of what you see. So the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. So here's the third thing that's on culture's agenda. Culture wants to create confrontation. You're probably feeling this now. Maybe it's with the school system or with the pride movement or at work. All around you, culture is confronting you so that you have to make a decision one way or the other. See, Beth and I got married two months after graduating high school. And if that's not enough to throw you for a loop, we had only known each other for about 11 months and had only been dating for about seven months. And culture was screaming at us the whole time, don't do it. You need to meet other people and have fun. You have your whole life ahead of you. Don't throw it all away by getting married so young. And get this, Beth's aunt even had a getaway car at our wedding. And I believe it was running and ready for a quick escape out of the church parking lot. Luckily, she didn't use it. And that's one of many stories I could tell you about my confrontations with culture. But if you're wondering how I got to where I am today and how Beth and I are still together 12 years later and happily married, it's 100% because we take a stand for what we believe in. We believe in marriage and we believe marriage is a commitment. So no matter how hard it's been, no matter how disappointed I've been with her and she with me and all the things that have happened over the past 12 years, we were committed to each other and there was nothing that could take that commitment away. But what's important for us to catch today is that we need to learn how to respond the right way when we're faced with these confrontations. You see, when it comes to church, there's two types of responses to these confrontations. They're both extremes, and neither one of them's right. You have the dogmatic Christian who walks around with that stigma, I know I'm right, and you're wrong, and I'm going to passionately tell you how wrong you are so that you can see that I'm right. And if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, I don't even care that you're going to hell. It's your fault. And the thing is, these people are right. It's important to follow truth in God's word. But even though they're right, they're not effective because they're missing the other piece of the puzzle, which I'll show you here in a minute. Then you have the other side. It's all like, God loves everyone, so it doesn't really matter if you change or not. We should just let people do what they want to do. Plus, it's too uncomfortable to talk about living a holy life. People that think this way are basically saying that they love people more than God does. Because in God's love, He not only gives us grace, but He also loves us enough to correct us and lead us into truth. So the whole love others and never correct them strategy, it feels good and it appears to be right until you realize that you have to set aside God's word to let this happen. And we can't do that. But if neither of these is right, what do we do? How do we stand firm in God's word and love others with unconditional love? Well, it starts by realizing this is not an either or, it's a both and. The truth from God's word can be in perfect balance with love. This is something Daniel did extremely well, and we're going to learn from his example throughout the series. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate example. Take a look at this in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, and He was full of grace and truth. Aha! Jesus didn't just come with grace. He came with truth, too, and He was full of both of them. So let's break this down. What is truth? Well, truth is God's standard. Well, what's God's standard? Well, John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. 
So God's standard is his word. And if we want to find truth, the only place we're going to find it is in the Bible. In other words, if what culture is pushing goes against the Bible, you can be 100% sure it's a lie. And now that we know what truth is, what's grace? Well, grace is God's favor. And favor in the dictionary is defined as an act of kindness beyond what is due or usual. So Jesus died for you when you were still a sinner. That's grace. That's God's favor. God loves you even when you're living in sin. And he loves you too much to leave you there. You didn't earn God's grace and favor. Actually, you can't do anything to earn it. It's a free gift. You don't deserve it, but he gives it to you anyways. Let me put it to you this way. You can't do enough good things to earn your way into heaven. There's only one way into heaven, and that is believing that Jesus died to save you from you. And all you have to do is receive the free gift. You see, Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this because it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. We need God's grace, and we need God's truth. That's why here at No Limits Church, we love everyone, and everyone's welcome to be a part of our church. But at the same time, we take God at his word, and we don't budge on the truth. That's why we have two core values out of our six, and these two go hand in hand. See, we love others without reason, and we take God at his word. We can't just have one of these core values. We have to have both of them. And it may seem like they oppose each other, but they actually complement each other. We need to stand firm in God's word while loving people unconditionally. Because what happens if we take one of these away? Well, without truth, we're corrupt. You know, for several years, I was a web developer. I'd sit in front of my computer all day and write code. Yeah, I know. Super nerd, right? I remember spending an entire day working on a website. When I ended the day, I felt really accomplished because I got it all done. And I worked from home, and we had two computers that connected to the same backup system. And for whatever reason, when Beth logged on to her computer, something didn't work quite right, and everything I had worked on that day became corrupted. All the files were unusable, and the only choice I had was to rewrite all the code that I just spent an entire day working on. That was a bad day. But what I want you to get from the story is this. When something is corrupted, it's of no use to those around it. In other words, when you stray from God's truth, you lose your ability to help people. But truth has to be accompanied by grace because without grace, we're condemned. You can't do enough to get saved. Your good works are worthless without grace because you can't undo bad things with good things. The only thing that undoes the bad in your life is God's grace. So God's like, I love you and I want to help you, so I'm going to send my only perfect son, Jesus, to die for you. Because without him, you're stuck trying to earn something that you can't earn. So that's God's grace. He sent Jesus to die for you so that you could be made right with God. And it's all a gift. You just have to reach out and receive the gift by believing in Jesus. But at the same time, God loves you so much that he gave you his word. He gave you the Bible to guide you. He said, I'm going to save you, and then I'm going to give you a guide that will lead you to your best life. You see, God wants you to live a holy life, but this has nothing to do with your salvation. Heaven is a free gift through Jesus. At the same time, God still wants truth in your life so that you can live your best life. God planned this amazing life for you, and culture is doing its best to pull you away from it. They're enticing you with the thrill of sexual immorality. They convince you that more money is going to bring lasting happiness, but they're lying. Our culture, the news, and the media, they only know how to do one thing. You see, culture leads us away from our best life while making us believe that we're headed in the right direction. But here's the deal. They honestly believe they're helping you. That's how good the devil is at deceiving people. But the only way to your best life is with grace and truth. You receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus, and then you submit yourself to the truth of God's word. 
Let's look at one more comparison to help drive all this home. You see, without truth, we become worldly. So without God's word, you'll live your life just like the world does. Therefore, you'll have the same problems, the same hangups, the same disappointment, and the same unfulfillment. But without grace, we become judgmental. If you submit to God's truth but leave grace out of the mix, you end up looking at your own trash heap. You realize it's a lot smaller than those around you, and you think to yourself, well, at least I'm not as bad as they are. I may have a few things messed up in my life, but at least I'm not as messed up as them. But we can't think that way. Actually, I believe this is the very attitude that has turned so many people off to the church. Christians are walking around in self-righteousness, elevating themselves above those around them because they think they know how to keep the rule book a little bit better than most. You see, truth without grace is mean. But grace without truth is meaningless. Truth and grace together is medicine. If you want to bring healing into your life and others' lives, you need grace and truth working together. In other words, your only motivation to bring truth into someone's life should be because you love them too much to see them suffer. If your motivation for sharing truth is because you want to prove you're right or because you want to feel better about your own hangups, you better just keep your mouth shut. But if love is your motivation, if you truly want to help someone live their best life, then you owe it to them to share the truth, even if it's hard. You see, we're a church that offers grace and truth at the same time. And here's why. Grace is what invites us to be free, but truth is what sets us free. And I want to close today with a story in the Bible that illustrates this very well. Found in John chapter 8, Jesus went across to Mount Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people came to him, he sat down and he taught them. The religion scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses in the law gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say, Jesus? And this is the tension that we all feel right here. What would Jesus say about what's going on in the world? What would he say about the LGBTQ movement? What would he say about the abortion laws? What would he say about my life? You see, they were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. You see, they were trying to get Jesus to choose between grace and truth. Are you going to follow truth and kill her? Or are you going to follow grace and disobey the Bible? What are you going to choose, Jesus? And they kept at him, badgering him. And he straightened up and he said, The sinless one among you, go first. Throw the stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. And hearing that, they walked away, one after another, Beginning with the oldest, the woman was left alone. We're about to see how respectful Jesus is when he confronts our sin. He doesn't do it while everyone else is watching. He's not looking to humiliate us in front of the church. No, he waits for a private moment. So when you're moved by love to help someone out of their sin, take the example of Jesus and be respectful. Do it in private and don't talk about it to anyone else. Jesus stood up and he spoke to her, Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, Master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. Jesus knew this wasn't an either-or. He gave the woman grace, and he gave her truth. I don't condemn you, so move forward and leave the sin behind. Did you know this applies to you, too? Right now, Jesus is extending grace. He's welcoming you in with open arms. At the same time, he's holding the door open for you to walk into truth. You may feel like you've been caught in sin, just like the woman we just read about. But I don't want you to leave condemned. I want you to leave free. 
And the way to do that is to have a one-on-one with Jesus. He already knows what you did, and he loves you anyway. So I want you to take a moment right now to receive his love and let him lead you into truth. And there may may, may be this strong pull on the inside of you because it's time. It's time for you to surrender your life to God and receive new life from Jesus. You know you're not that good at managing your life anyways. It's time to give Jesus the control of your life. It's time to receive forgiveness and get your past washed away. So if that's you, if you're ready to do that, I'm going to say a prayer and I want you to repeat it after me. And when you do, Jesus is going to wash you clean. He's going to give you new life. He's going to fill you with joy and peace and purpose. So say this prayer after me. Jesus, I've been living without you and I don't want to do that anymore. I've done a lot of things wrong and I need your forgiveness. I accept your love and grace for me. And I ask that you would be my Lord. Thank you for making me new. Thank you for washing away my past. I hand my life over to you. And I ask that you would help me walk out your plan for my life. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give into our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And hey, if you were encouraged by this podcast, hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening and God bless you.